Heavenly Father, we give thanks that we have the freedom in this country to come together and gather as Christians. Father, I thank you that we have the freedom to, to carry a Bible around and that we have access to your word each and every day. Father, I give thanks for this reading in Matthew about the compassion and mission of Jesus. Father, I pray that you will soften our hearts as we hear this word uh, spoken and we hear your sermon this morning. Father, just help us to take in what you have for us and apply it to our lives as we go out to love and serve you. In your name, Amen. Reading from Matthew 9.35 Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts, no bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at your, their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard, for you will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, 
you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Uh, he's been watching the Olympics. Uh, yeah, lots of uh, it's, they've sort of come at the right time for lots of Australians in lockdown, right? Uh, one of the really inspiring things about the Olympics is I, I find it's seeing people who have devoted their lives to this mission, right? This goal uh, of Olympic glory. Uh, I listened to an interview this week uh, on Conversations uh, with a guy. Uh, you, you hope you probably remember this guy. Uh, with Stephen Bradbury. So you, you, the photo's up there. Anyone remember him? Uh, he was Australia's first gold medalist in the Winter Olympics back in 2002. And he's known as the guy who breezed past everyone else as they all fell down in front of them. Um, in fact, doing a Bradbury has actually made him into the dictionary. Um, and it's sort of this way of talking about cruising to a win without, without any effort. But what was really interesting to hear in this interview with uh, Stephen Bradbury is uh, that it isn't actually at all true about him, how he sort of devoted his life to his training. He was an elite athlete and he had to sacrifice uh, all the things he had to sacrifice to achieve just to make it to that Olympic final. And, and you could tell a similar story, right, about any number of athletes that we're watching on telly at the moment. They have this vision of a future that drives them on. Uh, they're on a mission. All we're going to think about today is all about the mission that Jesus was on. It was a far bigger and more lasting and more glorious mission than any gold medal, than any world record time. It all has to do with this theme that we've seen again and again through Matthew's Gospel. It's the theme of Jesus' mission being all about the good news of the Kingdom of Heaven. The good news of the Kingdom of Heaven. Uh, that's what you see in the first verse of our reading that Bruce read out for us. In verse 35 in, of chapter 9, uh, Matthew writes, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. That verse there, in verse 35, it's almost identical to another verse back in, at the end of chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles there, you can flick back and have a look at that. At the end of chapter 4, there's an, it, it's like this, this two verses are like summary verses of Jesus, what Jesus was doing at, the, at that time. Uh, of, it's a summary of Jesus' kingdom mission. And in between them, in between those two kind of summaries, well, is what we've been looking at this year in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, we've seen Jesus, it's all about the kingdom of heaven, and we've seen the king... In action, we've seen his authority on full display. We've seen his authority in his teaching in that incredible Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we've seen his authority in his works, his power to set right a broken creation, his authority over sickness and nature and even demonic forces, even his authority over death. So all of that has been on display in these last chapters. And what Matthew's going to go on to do now He's shown us the king, and now he's going to, in this passage, show us what the king's mission looks like, the mission of this mighty king. There's heaps in here, and we can't get to it all, 
Uh, and so we will um, be jumping over a few things, but what we're going to do is I want to pull out seven themes that come out of this chapter, so seven aspects of this mission. And if you have your handout, you'll see them there. It might be helpful to have that to sort of guide you through as we go. Uh, and we're also going to take up, uh, the passage right to the end of chapter 10, so a bit longer than what we read um, right to the end of chapter 10 there. But uh, the first thing that jumps out to us as we keep reading this great account is that what drives this mission that Jesus is on, this, this thing that's driving him, what drives him is a deep, deep compassion. Read it in verse 36. This is what we read. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I think this is where Jesus' mission is, what's, what's sort of driving him, is just so different to what drives us so much of the time, right? Um, the goals we make for ourselves can so often be driven by, well, what, our, maybe by our insecurities, maybe by our desire for recognition or for praise or for control, but this great mission that Jesus is on isn't like any of that, isn't driven by any of that. It's not as if there's some lack within Jesus that he's trying to make up for, some neediness within him. His motivation, the beating heart of his mission, is not a self-centred desire, but an other person-centred compassion. So he's travelling around, we're told, he's travelling around proclaiming that the this good news that the kingdom of heaven has come near, uh, that this moment has come near when God will reign in power, when he'll bring fulfilment to all his promises, he'll bring justice and healing to the world. And he sees these people, he notices them, he sees them in all their pain and their sorrow. And that word compassion that you read there, it's not just, uh, it's not a kind of weak word, it's not just a feeling a little bit of pity, it's this really strong word, a really strong, deep word. Um, it, it doesn't just mean he feels a little bit of pity, it, it's a word that means something more like his guts get twisted up inside him. Have you ever felt like that? Where he's just so um, worked up inside with compassion for what's happening. He looks out at the crowd and the reason he's so eaten up is because, as you read in verse 36, they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, it ties into a theme in the Old Testament uh, that you get, uh, you get through the Old Testament that the leaders of Israel, uh, by the time of the prophets, um, the, the kings and the priests, they had become so corrupt, they had led the people away from God and into idolatry. And so you get to the end of the Old Testament and you get prophets like Ezekiel uh, talking like this. It's not up on the screen, but just uh, listen to This is what Ezekiel writes. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You've ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. And it goes on, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, 
I myself will search for my sheep and look for them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so I will look after my sheep. So this is the promise of God for his scattered sheep who are harassed and helpless. And what that means is this, this compassion that we see in Jesus here is the compassion of the one true and living God for his lost and scattered sheep. It motivates his mission as the Father sends the Son in the power of the Spirit to be the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. It's so important for us, I think. It's so foundational when thinking about what God is doing in the world through his gospel, through this good news of his kingdom. It flows out of his compassion. His compassion. And Jesus invites his disciples to share in that. To share in that. But one of the surprising things about this passage is what Jesus says next. So you can see it there in verse 37 to 38. Uh, this first, what is the first response Jesus calls for? When he's, when he's faced with people who need to hear about him and his kingdom, what's the first thing he calls his disciples to do? Well, it's to pray. Yeah, it's to pray. To pray. He changes images from shepherds to crops. And then he says this, verse 37, he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore. Pray to this Lord of the harvest. And do you see what Jesus is saying there? This mission is actually God's mission. And it's so important, so helpful. Gospel mission isn't our idea. It's not something that we come up with in our own strength, that we make happen through our own programs. There is a Lord of the harvest. It's his mission. It's his work. It's what he is doing in the world by his spirit as the good news of his kingdom is proclaimed. And so Jesus says, first thing to do, if you are filled with his holy compassion for a lost world, is to pray. To pray to the Lord of the harvest. And but Jesus doesn't just say pray vaguely. He gives us this specific thing to pray for. Verse 37 Harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. That is very interesting, isn't it? It's not ask the Lord of the harvest to do the harvesting for us. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field, in his strange and wonderful grace. God chooses to accomplish his mission through his people. Through his people. He calls them to work under him, to be workers in this great harvest. Before he calls them to work, though, he calls them to pray. To pray that God would send out workers, to, would stir up his people to be his ambassadors, sharers of the good news of his kingdom. Now, friends, this is, a, this is a dangerous prayer to pray, isn't it? A dangerous prayer to pray. It's a prayer that begins, it's, it's a prayer that begins to perhaps rub, up, rub off on us a little bit, to tune our own hearts so that our hearts might reflect more of God's heart. That he might send out people 
all over the world to share the good news of his kingdom. It's also a prayer that opens up the question, how is God sending me into his harvest fields? And that's going to look different for each of us. It's going to look different for each of us. But the heart is the same. And it had a particular look for the first people Jesus is saying this to, the first workers in this harvest field. Jesus calls his people to pray that the Lord of harvest would send out workers. And the very next thing that you read, the very next thing you read at the start of chapter 10 is, well, it's Jesus doing just that. You see the Lord sending out workers. Verse 1 of chapter 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. Jesus chooses 12 disciples. Or if you keep reading, they're called the 12 apostles. He doesn't choose 11. He doesn't choose 13. And that's not an accident. It's not just randomly 12 came to him. Just like there were 12 tribes in, of God's Old Testament people, Israel, Jesus is making a point here. Uh, the, this kingdom he is proclaiming and bringing in, uh, we, as we've seen all the way through Matthew, this kingdom is the fulfillment of God's promises. And here is the beginning of this new people, this new people founded on Jesus. And these 12 have a really special role. Jesus, you notice that he shares with them something of his own authority, this incredible authority that we've seen over the last four chapters of Matthew. Uh, Jesus shares that authority with him, gives it to them, these 12, his authority over sickness and evil, and he gives them the same message that he's been preaching uh, and at this point, though, do you notice as you read on in verse 5, it's only a message for the people of Israel. Verse 5, uh, these 12 Jesus sends out with the following instructions, do not go among the Gentiles or into any town of the Samaritans, the non-Jewish people around. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. So Jesus' message at this point in Matthew's Gospel is for his lost sheep in the house of Israel. And it's the same message he's been proclaiming himself. Verse 7, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. All the things that Jesus himself has been doing under his authority gives to these twelve. Freely you have received. Freely give. So there's this unique authority that Jesus gives to the apostles to do these works of miraculous power so that they might show to the world that their message is true, that the kingdom of heaven really has come near in Jesus. And the focus wasn't on the works, it was on the much greater message, the message of this kingdom. And all that that means to us the message that we now have in the pages of the New Testament, in the writings that were either written by or authorised by these apostles. Now, these apostles are foundational in Jesus' mission. They are the ones he sends out of his authority. We have their teaching in, in our own Bibles. And so, friends, for us, a key 
part of taking part, our part in Jesus' mission is knowing and listening to his apostles. So, he goes on. I'm going to skip a bit quicker over um, the rest of the chapter. Jesus goes on. A lot of what comes next, Jesus is preparing his, these 12 that taking part in his mission is going to bring opposition. It's going to bring opposition. Not everyone's going to accept this message they have. They're going to get a mixed reception. They're travelling from town to town. In fact, you read as you read along, you get this impression that opposition is actually going to be the norm for them. Uh, verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils. You'll be flogged in the synagogues. On my account you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. It gets even stronger down in verse 21. Not only opposition from the powers, but even within, um, within families from verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death and the father his child. Rebel will, uh, children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So Jesus says, be on your guard. This is coming. It's here. Be on your guard. But he, notice what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say, be on your guard so that you can fight for your rights. So that you can protect yourself. So that you can give as good as you get. Uh, there's this shrewd innocence here, right? As shrewd, as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. It's not a naivety. It knows that opposition, even hatred, will come to those who bear this good news. But it doesn't react in kind. There's this beautiful peace and calmness that Jesus pictures in the midst of all this, all this storm. And that peace is possible because of one thing that comes out in this chapter so strongly. That peace is possible because this mission of Jesus is under his Father's sovereign care. This mission of Jesus is under his Father's sovereign care. Verse 19. When they arrest you, don't worry. Don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So there's this really strange, beautiful capacity that Jesus holds out here to be hated without hating in return, to be slandered, betrayed, even killed, and yet not to be afraid. Because there's more going on here than what those who oppose them can see. That's what Jesus, there's more going on than meets the, meets the eye. This mission is, it is under the Father's sovereign care. And he says to his twelve, even you being arrested, doesn't undermine that mission. doesn't undermine that. The Spirit of your Father is going to work through that and speak through you, even if that happens. Everything will be, and, and everything will be, one day seen for what it is. Verse 26. So don't be afraid of them. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylights, what is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. 
There are concealed things, but they will be seen. God will be seen and acknowledged in the end, Jesus says. So don't be afraid. And, and not only that, it gives a few reasons why you shouldn't be afraid. Uh, don't be afraid of these opponents of Jesus' mission because there's, a, there's someone else you should be afraid of. There's someone else you should fear more. Verse 28, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is talking about God there. Jesus wants his people to fear God more than they fear people. He's the one with real authority, real power. Power not just over the body but the soul, not just here and now but for eternity. So don't fear people. But that's not all. This sovereign Lord who we have we, we are right to have a holy reverence for. This sovereign Lord is also at the same time our wonderful and loving and caring Father. That's the ultimate reason not to be afraid. Verse 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your Father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. If even the sparrows don't fall outside your Father's care, do you think you will as well? Jesus says, no. No, don't be afraid on this mission. Opposition will come, but it is under your Father's care. So, how are we going? This mission of Jesus, it's driven by his compassion. It, it sweeps us up in it. It sweeps his people up. It's, it's founded on his apostles. It's going to be opposed. But Jesus says his disciples can face it with calmness and peace. They don't need to react out of fear of man, but in the fear of the Lord they can entrust themselves to his fatherly care. There's one more thing that I want to focus on. It's hinted at in this passage. But I think it's key for us as we think about how we relate to this. How we relate to this. It, it's a bit of a strange thing, right? Jesus isn't talking directly to directly to us here, right? He's talking to these twelve, these special twelve apostles who he gives his authority to and sends out on this special mission to Israel. But I think he's also preparing them for the greater global mission that would come, this global harvest. And that's the harvest that we're all we're also involved in. I think you get a glimpse of that back in verse 23. So if you flick back to verse 23, uh, Jesus says, When you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you'll not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And we've seen this Son of Man figure being used by Jesus throughout Matthew's Gospel, right? And we've seen the way in which it comes from an Old Testament book called Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, this vision of this Son of Man, this King, who, who the King of God's people, who was given all authority. And Jesus says they won't, go, they won't finish going through to the towns. They, they won't be able to get to all the towns before the Son of Man comes. 
There's some debate over the, what this means when this happens. I think Jesus is looking ahead to his death and resurrection here. Jesus' great compassion ultimately led him to the cross for you, so you could freely receive the gift of being welcomed into his kingdom, his family, and follow him as Lord. So before we take part in his mission, we are receivers of his mission. But uh, receiving his grace, it changes us, it gives us a new heart, so that like these 12 apostles, what we have freely received, we can now freely give. Uh, later in the chapter, in chapter 10, uh, Jesus calls his disciples to take up their cross and follow him. He knew that's where he was heading, to his death. But he also knew that that was the moment of real life, the moment all history was longing for. And he makes this wonderful promise in verse 39. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So Jesus' death for sin, his, his resurrection and his ascension to the Father, that's when his kingdom is established, when he comes as the glorious Son of Man to the Father. And that's when this first mission to Israel explodes out to the whole world too. And, and that's when that sweeps us up too. Uh, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, that's exactly what you see. I'm going to finish with this call of Jesus to take our part in his mission to all people. So let's read from Matthew 28, at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Jesus now, having come and died for sin and been raised again, uh, says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Let's pray together, friends. Our Father, thank you for the wonderful gospel, this good news of your kingdom that has come to us. Father, we thank you for the compassion that you have poured out of us in Christ. Uh, we thank you that because of your compassion you came on your mission and that because of your mission we are included in your family. We can know you as our Father. Lord, we pray that you might send out many people into your harvest field as bearers of your good news and that you might even use us in that. We pray that for our own, uh, our own community. We pray that for across the south coast to Victor Harbour through to Goolwa. We pray that for the Rio Peninsula for the whole world. Please continue to use us for your glory in this wonderful mission and help us to trust you as our good and loving Father who has all of this in your hand. And uh, we pray that for your sake in Jesus' precious name. Amen.